3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation and we recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning, everyone. Today is Wednesday, the 15th of August, and you are listening to 3CR Community Radio's Breakfast Show. Um, I am Will, and I'm enjoyed in the studio by so many friends. Yeah. <laughs> I've got Iden. Hello, Iden. Good morning. Good morning, Dean. Morning, Will. Morning, listeners. And we've also got Layla. Hello, 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 hello. hello, hello. Um, yeah, full studio this morning. Full studio Quite this lovely morning. to have everyone in. <laughs> it would have been quite interesting to have seen Thursday last week the studio in here. Yeah, Thursday they had like a panel discussion. I yeah, think you can find it on it was our website. Amazing. But mm, yeah, I, yeah I, I came in here after the show mm. and they were all huddled in the kitchen, you know, talking and laughing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it seemed like this massive yeah. explosion. So the um, it was a panel conversation talking about um beyond African games. Mm. So taking yeah. the conversation beyond um the sort of uh, racist message that we've been hearing in, in news media and main, mainstream media and talking about what else is sort of moving, moving us beyond that conversation. Mm. And if you want to hear more about that, listen back to last Thursday Breakfast show. So that would be 3cr.org.au slash Thursday hyphen breakfast. Mm. Uh, or you just go to 3cr.org.au and look for Thursday Breakfast, which has that, um, has that uh, on their, uh, their web page. And you can also download the podcast as well. And uh, yeah. at about 7.45, we're going mm. to touch on, is it um, mm. Titan Deburun talking about the vice? Yeah, exactly. Did you oh, see that video? Yeah, yeah. Every, yeah, everybody yeah, can in this room watch about? that. Um, oh, it's it's super excellent. So mm-hmm. I I have a love hate relationship with Vice. Mm. I, I think most of people our yeah. generation do. Founded by <laughs> some weird neo Nazi oh, guy who's yeah. no longer part of it. I don't think. But and still. now owned like part of the Murdoch Empire as oh, well. Right. Um, yeah. But, but somehow they've done they great reportage on other things as well. Like yeah. they're the only person to, people to get into to Raqqa whilst it was run by. Yeah. Yeah. IS yeah. and other things like that. So just you know, actual investigative journals, journalists. But that's this video though. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's it's um yeah okay yeah let's touch on that. So uh, it's actually called South Sudanese Australians Talk Police Politics and the Media, hmm. and oh my gosh, I was absolutely blown away. I was like uh, so excited to hear their perspectives because they are so intelligent. They are so nuanced in the entire race relation kind of dichotomy. Mm. They are like a hundred steps ahead of the pol- uh, politicians in mm. terms of understanding what like this reality is like. Mm. Um, just in, in general, just being an Australian in general. Um, and it just filled me with so much hope um, and like um, uh, inspiration for the future, like because they are m- more able to like kind of understand the complex systems that we're living within better than you know a large majority of people that um, are in a position of power. So although they may hold the land and the resources, we hold the future, and that's why I was like so touched by that video. Mm. So we're excited to be hearing about that um, coming up, and that was on um, sort of a continuation of what was been what's been talked about last Thursday, mm. but um, how have people's weeks been? What have been up to? Well, I've, I've come down with glandular fever. Uh, I've got three or four days before I leave to <laughs> England, so I've been put under bed arrest, mm. so um, mm. I'm here for a short 
brief period and then I'm back to sleeping That's 24-7. Right. <laughs> uh, no, the week's been good, you know, yeah. hump day. It's always uh, interesting to get to Wednesday mm-hmm. because we look forward to uh-huh. the, the breakfast program. But, you know, I'm alive, I'm here, <laughs> yeah. can't complain. Every time, every morning I wake up, I think, well, today's going to be a good day. Well, thank you for coming back, Dean. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um... Yeah, so... What have you been up to, Will? What have I been up to? Yeah. Uh, apart from being sick last week, and um, ah. sorry for letting the team down last week, but it was a fantastic no show, and Layla and Dean were more than Yeah, they did capable. a fantastic and job. some fantastic guests <laughs> that you had in there. Yes. Really good guests. Yeah, yeah, that's true, that's true. And so if you want to listen back to that, head to our webpage, which is 3cr.org.au slash Wednesday hyphen breakfast. I know I keep calling Monday. I'm getting better. That's okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, it feels like a Monday, though, getting up at 4.30 in the morning, but... Um, <laughs> But we're, we're all here. Um, so, like I said earlier, it is the 15th of August, and um, we've got a couple of great things coming up on the show today. At the top of the show, we'll be doing Songs of Satire. What's that? Yeah, so we're actually tying this in with a lot of um, uh, issues of the female. I said this week it's going to be fantastic. So we're going from uh, Janelle Monet, who is a brilliant artist. Uh, <laughs> her song about uh, female empowerment uh, called Pink Directly into an interview with uh, Rochelle from Share the Dignity, um, which is a non-for-profit organisation focused on providing sanitary items for women in uh, homelessness situations or housing crisis, so uh, people who are victims of domestic abuse and that sort of background. And she'll be talking actually mainly about the recent campaign to um, remove sanitary items from the GST because Mm. it's currently considered a luxury item under Mm. the GST, Mm. so... That's going to be fantastic, and, yeah, we'll tie in nicely. Yeah. Um, later on in the show, uh, we're hoping to hear from the folks at In Your Face. Um, so James from In Your Face, In Your Face, you'll already know, is a, um, a sh- a, our Thursday, sorry, a Friday hometime show every week, 4 p.m., covers a great range of uh, topics around um, the queer community, mm. around sexuality, around sexual health, around um, um, sexual rights. Uh, and so there uh, this... So two, two weeks ago, they were speaking to the folks from uh, Vixen Collective, which is a peer support network for sex workers, and we'll be hearing more about what's happening in that space. And um, then after that, we're doing yesterday's news. What's going on with yesterday's news? Yesterday's news, uh, we're going to be focusing on the kind of uh, uh, the, the coverage around um, the Russian group uh, Pussy Riot and their recent imprisonment and uh, their recent supposed release from imprisonment mm. um, and kind of the, the, the disinformation that's going on around that and that sort of stuff. Oh, so. it's continuing, isn't it? Like exactly. That imprisonment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's the fact that um, the, the Russian administration's gone, no, we've released them. Yeah. And yeah. It, they blatantly One out haven't. of 500. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. And then end of the show at 8.10, how are we finishing up? Rachel yeah. Nollinger. Yeah, we're going to be having Rachel Nollinger. So this is, uh, she's from the University of Melbourne and she studies uh, linguistics and language. And fascinating, she also really focuses in on endangered and um, indigenous languages. Mm, okay. So she'll be talking about uh, reconciliation with uh, language within Australia and the importance of protecting uh, these languages uh, due to, like, you know, cultural significance but also just um, within Australia, mm. respecting mm. your roots, you know, yeah. <laughs> respecting the people who came First. And I know that some um, yeah. organisations um, in the in Northern Territory in WA have got some really really ingrained um, programs mm-hmm. um, where it's not bilingual, it's not English and Indigenous, but they're focusing on their Indigenous languages. So, oh. so many okay. yeah. different 
yeah. languages. Really well, it'll be great culture. to talk about that yeah. um, in the final interview of the show. It will be, and she's going to, yeah, she's going to give us a wrap up of all the projects she's involved in. So, Beautiful. Yeah. Okay. Um, you're listening to Three Cell Community Breakfast. Next up is alternative news. Some folks know about it, some don't. Some will learn to shout it, some won't. But sooner or later, baby, here's a ditty. Say you're gonna have to get right down to the real nitty gritty. Let's get right down to the real nitty gritty now. One, two, nitty gritty now, yeah, boom. Nitty gritty, who? Okay, good morning, guys. I'm sorry, I'm going to be a black cloud over everybody's head <laughs> today because I don't have some, you know, that inspiring news. Um, but it's alternative. It's certainly alternative, and it's certainly something that everybody should know about. So uh, I'm going to be the bearer of bad news, and good morning, everybody. <laughs> so um, I'm sure that um, most 3CR listeners are aware of some pretty intense changes to the Espionage Act that kind of came through in June. Um, so what that kind of it redefined some terms that uh, the government uses sometimes when prosecuting certain individuals. Um, so um, they expanded the definition of sabotage to um, account for both the obstruction and the damage of Commonwealth property. And that um, now um, is uh, you're threatened with a, a jail sentence of around seven to 20 years. Uh, yeah, yeah, for, for possible that, obstruction. I, I love how um, random that is, or ambiguous that is. Seven to 20, that's a huge gap. Yeah, mm. exactly right. Um, and this is a, alongside a, rede- um, a redefining of um, like uh, terrorist tactics to account for like reputational impact and a loss of confidence in the government. So that's now considered a terrorist attack. If you so say, let's take an example. If you decide to obstruct the building of the Adani coal mine mm. in a way that you are getting in the way of Commonwealth projects, you are technically perpetuating a loss of uh, confidence in the government. Therefore, you are able to be defined as a terrorist. Mm. 
Hmm. Um, so, uh, so the question is that to is <laughs> terrifying. Yeah. Absolutely terrifying. Um, uh, they've also um, it, it, look. This is this is meant to try and stop people from um, like foreign interference in a la kind of like Russian like interference in the U.S. elections and these kind of things. But the thing is, the biggest inf- um, interference that we're dealing with is corporate interference. And where are they like defining the lines between foreign interference is like negative in what sense, mm. but corporate interference is kind of all G, okay? All G and endorsed. I mean, Marvel Stadium that we're introducing, you know, that mm. sort of soft power cultural influence, that's yeah. fine. Yeah. Corporate influence. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so, uh, These were some of the things that um, changed the espionage bill. Now, alongside this as well, there was a shake-up to defence call-out powers. So um, the defence force is now able to be pre-authorised to respond to threats on land, sea and air. And it also expands their powers to search, seize and control at the scene of a, quote, terrorist incident. So they now have unlimited powers, so powers beyond the police, to be able to detain you, to be able to search you, and to be able to seize you without any kind of explanation. Now, all we have to do is look back in some kind of historical context and see that when these kind of bills have been passed, the first people that are oppressed are the political descendants. Like, they they are able to pass through everything under the name of national security, and they're able to do it in a way that like just hypes up into fear so that like we are able we then willingly give our civil liberties away so that was kind of alternative news in the sense that this all came through in june but just um just yesterday they've now drafted new legislation to be presented to government that targets communication services so it's threatening google apple facebook whatsapp all of these um these these behemoths with fines of up to 10 million dollars to hand over your sensitive data and systems access to your phones Whilst so, they don't pay tax, still, mm, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I want, I want, I'd wonder what kind of impact that sort of um, threat of fine would have on these massive. You, you call them behemoths, and that's absolutely right. Ten million dollars is a drop in a bucket. So right. I wonder, yeah. is this messaging that's actually meant to impact them, or is it for us? Oh no, it, it's uh, it, this is this is for them to sell your data. So like mm. if you if if they don't give your data to the mm. government, then they could get a ten million dollar fine. Right. And there's okay. no way that they will pay the fine. They will just hand it over because they're handing it over already. Mm. Like it's just that like this is this is just a a new set of regulations to sure. say that you have to do sure. it. Okay. Um, and how would that tie into this? What's been happening in the community in regards to? people opting out for the My Health Records if they're already on there. (laughs) What does that mean? All of this hullabaloo about the My Health Records and nobody's actually uh, witnessing what these giant corporations are doing Mm. with your data, which is Mm. much more sensitive, much more intimate, much more private. Much scarier. Mm. Much scarier. Mm. So... um, this, again, is alongside with this new um, associate press investigation that shows that Google still tracks your locations even if you've turned your mm. location off. Mm. Oh, yeah. 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 Mm. So what I want to do is I just want to make it clear to absolutely everybody out there that we are literally living in a 1984 totalitarian state. So we have data that is being sold to your government 
without your permission. We have uh, your phones tracking your every move. You have the defense army like able to be um, called out by any one of the top um, ministers. That's deputy PM, treasurer, foreign minister of affairs, defense uh, minister, Prime Minister, the um, I'll any, be happy if only Peter one Dutton of these is not on that list. Oh, he, else but him. oh he's on he the, absolutely <laughs> is on that list. He's on the top. So all they have to do is call it out, and then the defense, the army can be mobilized in a way that can like crack down on anybody that's been seen as terrorist acts, which have now been expanded to anything that could um, provide a loss of confidence in the government. So. We are all legitimately in danger, mm. especially here at 3CR. Like, you know, we. Freedom of voice. Yes, freedom <laughs> of voice. Freedom of voice, absolutely. Mm. Um, and I'm terrified. Yeah. And uh, well, I, I feel like they're prepping for something. I think definitely when you see like the the, the the slow incremental addition of these sorts of like these sorts of laws, it, it's winding up to mm. shut down on public freedoms. And you've got to question, well, why do you need to shut down on public freedoms? What are you doing? Mm-hmm. And with uh, we know that our government can sometimes not be transparent in the things that's going on. You know, look at Manus Island and stuff like that. We're not allowed to report on that. So just this continual shutting down of our voice and our ability to you know to um, communicate about the issues going on in Australia. It's scary, scary stuff. Mm. And it's driving that lack of communication between um, community in general. Mm. You know, people are already not talking because they're on their devices. Um, but if we're not talking about these things mm. that are happening now, how does everyone else mm. get across some of these stripping away of yeah. civil liberties? Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just simply not having the conversations. Yeah, and uh, it's because it's a scary thought. It's a terrifying thing for everybody to be able to conceptualise, but this is where our reality is at, and we have to start doing it. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a necessary truth, and thank you for bringing, um, talking on that today, um, Layla. Um, just to wrap up alternative news, I'll bring you um, something that the mainstream media is bringing you, but I'll tell you anyway, um, that today we're going to get to a top of 16 in the weather, uh, and um, <laughs> it's gonna, we're going to see a shower or two as well, so it's going to be cloudy with a high chance of showers, mostly in the early morning and again in the afternoon. Uh, winds will be 30 to 40 k's during the day, so a little gusty, but not as um, as heavy as we've seen in the past. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio here on 3CR, <laughs> um, and uh, we'll be right back. You're listening to 3CR, 855 AM, the voice of the community. The Australian Plants Expo is a huge native plant fair coming up on September 8th and 9th in Eltham. There'll be books, art, giftware and talks by Philip Johnson, A.B. Bishop and Loretta Childs. There'll also be demonstrations and workshops on botanical art, propagation and native bonsai, as well as activities for children, refreshments and door prizes. Saturday and Sunday, September 8th and 9th, 10am to 4pm at the Eltham Community and Reception Centre, 801 Main Road, Eltham. Contact at apsyarrayarra at gmail.com or call 0430-513-433 for more details. Australian Plant Society Yarra Yarra is a 3CR supporter. International Overdose Awareness Day is held annually on the 31st of August. It is a day to raise awareness of overdose, reduce the stigma of drug-related death and acknowledge the grief felt by family and friends of those who have died. 
With the ongoing stigmatisation and criminalisation of people who consume drugs in Australia, International Overdose Awareness Day is as important as ever. This year, 3CR will be broadcasting a special half-hour program at 10am on Friday the 31st of August. Join us for a panel discussion looking at current efforts to reduce the tragic loss of life from overdose in Australia. Experts will offer perspectives from the fields of research, service delivery and most importantly, peers in the community. From every corner of the land, womankind arise! Women on the Line, a current affairs program devoted to women's voices, covering a diversity of women's interests and hearing women's perspectives on current affairs. Erosion of human rights leads directly and inevitably to erosion of human security. We do not accept the denial of our rights because the right to have a say over our country is our life. Women on the Line. Tune in on Mondays at 8.30am and Wednesdays at 6am on 3CR Community Radio 855am and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. You're listening to 3CR. Now, today we're going to explore a little bit of um, feminist theory. So, in the words of Simone de Beauvoir, one is not born, but rather becomes a woman. That is, that from young birth, we are taught what it means to be female. A woman, by definition, is entirely sculpted around what it means to be a man. And Simone de Beauvoir called this the other. Men are defined as strong, independent leaders, so women are consequently meek in nature, codependent and followers. Men are dominant, so women are submissive. And this was shown to be mental, physical and sexual complete annihilation of women's rights. And whilst that's writing is from 1949, this is still seen in the culture we push onto children. Girls are still pushed to play with dolls and watch the dolls in films act out their roles. We see the suggestion of progression, you know, feminist themes introduced into Disney films. Yet the protagonists always remain skinny, big-eyed and traditionally pretty. That is what's projected to our youth. We get told that as women we can either be good or we can be undesirable. That because we are women, we will never actually be naturally correct. We will constantly be trying to catch up to what it means to be a man, because what it means to be a man means to be right. Um, And you can look at Joyce Stevens, Because We Are Women, for that. What it fails to do is really respect and represent the inherent naturalness of women in all forms, the complex and diverse range of people we are and the issues that we experience. And this is kind of where this week's Songs of Satire really comes in, because I figured that as our first interview would be about women rejecting and discriminative tax for the as natural process as menstruation, we should highlight, or we should spend the moment to highlight women's natural individuality, strength and beauty. And no better to do that than the artist Janelle Monet, <laughs> with her song Pink, where she looks to redefine women as a natural, complex and beautiful creation. Now, before we do start this further breakdown, I would like to highlight that the lyrics of this song do contain sexual references. So if that isn't your thing for 7.20 on a Wednesday morning, (laughs) please tune in back in 10 minutes. Though I do strongly suggest you stick around, because whilst they begin as sexual references, Janelle takes pains to explore how this is part of us as a natural woman, us as a holistic woman. So, 
Pink is the byline of the song, and pink takes the colour usually assigned to women and breaks it down into different applications, redefining its meaning and representation of women, away from the girlish connotations of pink that suggest purity or perhaps, you know, sugar and spice and all things nice. Instead, Janelle kind of repossesses this colour to one that evolves with women. Championing the female form, her opening lines stem the colour back to pink of the colour of human organs, specifically that of female genitalia. Stating that there is nothing more natural than a woman's body, Janelle explores the sexual maturity of women, but moves away from the sexualized male objectification that is so classical to our patriarchy, and instead into the formation of the female identity. Instead, she explores female interactions with sex through this colour pink. She looks at oral sex, the female um, orgasm, the growth of pubic hair, and the joy and organic nature of this paradise of human experience. Similarly, she also links pink to, the, to a woman's intellect. Pink becomes the folds of your brain, and she stresses this connection from sex to smarts as a more holistic view of women's identity. Her chorus kind of shifts a little bit of tone and fulfills a Cindy Lauper-esque view of women, who are then encouraged to use this range of pink experience to celebrate. You know, she says, riding cars create memories that can last forever. After all, all that girls want to do is have fun. So women in the video are shown to be these thrill adventures, these dreamers, these philosophers. You know, they, they explore and get lost in the dark in the holes of the human heart, and they, they embrace this. They're not put on a pedestal like most mainstream media. They're only human, and they're looking for fun and consuming that Hollywood dream of sunshine, money, and funk. And that's their beauty. That is just enough. That is their natural state. And Janelle stresses that some women like this lifestyle, leaving that concession that others don't, but are equally part of this anthem. Janelle reminds audiences that women don't have to belong to a constructed ideal of the right women, that those who enjoy in, indulge in childish joy, such as Boulevard Drives, are as valued as those who don't. Throughout the song, pink starts to overwhelm everything, becoming the colour behind all doors. It becomes the lips in the gasp of kissing, or pink in the hall, halls of the heart, or the lids of your eye from profound angles such as love, sex and lust to the more innocuous details. Chanel really humbles the planet by reminding us that pink interlinks within everything and it's the basis of all aspects of life. And to that she dismisses gender constructs and binaries, quoting the gendered stereotypes that boys get blue in our society. She challenges this illusion of power of the patriarchy and reminds us that while boys get blue, women choose pink, representing the colour to one of equal power. Stating that deep inside we're all just pink, Janelle reminds us to be human and humble, to not fight over dominance and to not push constructs of gender that are not natural, but to instead be organic as the sun going down. Stating that pink is her favourite part, Janelle refuses to be othered. She rejects that pink is the colour assigned to females because it was the female counterpart to a male-lensed world. She affirms that pink is natural and is a choice that we are not the female eunuch defined by what it means to not be a man and that we will not and that we will repossess those gendered stereotypes that have been forced upon us we will break them and we will own them with all the nature they inspire so here is the song reminded that there is sexual references rocking out at 7:27 uh, in the morning and yeah there are songs for Saturday baby pink like the sun going down maybe pink like the in your heart Baby pink is my favorite part Hello, I am Mahsa Vahdat Hi, I'm Marjan and you're listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 AM on your radio dial 
Also on digital radio and streaming at 3cr.org.au. Please subscribe. Hey, this is Greta Ray, and you are listening to 3CR 855am Radical Radio on digital and streaming live on 3cr.org.au. In 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday. Years in the making, Radical Radio celebrating 40 years of 3CR is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station. At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. 3CR's Radical Radio book is now on sale for just $30. You can get your copy of 3CR's book at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street Fitzroy or online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Get a piece of your own history on sale for just $30. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now. You're listening to 3CR Wednesday Breakfast. So, we just had uh, Pink by Janelle Monet, an American artist. And, well, talking about all things female, I thought we'd get a bit of discussion going around uh, the current affair of the GST's inclusion of sanitary items. Uh, so, this is really affects people in, uh, in Australia who have periods, uh, full stop, because at the moment, our current system is that... Uh, sanitary items such as pads, tampons are included in the GST as a luxury item. But I've got Rochelle from Share the Dignity uh, organisation on the line to talk to a little bit more about that. Uh, good morning, Rochelle. Good morning. How are you? I am wonderful. It's lovely to have you on. It's lovely to say periods on radio. <laughs> yes. That, you know, most of half of us get it, and if you don't get it, you come from somebody who did. So it's so nice to hear it. <laughs> That's a wonderful thing, and I would love to touch on that and um, media relevancy. But first off, um, I heard yesterday we've had a bit of announcement within this issue. Could you first give us a breakdown of our current situation with sanitary items and the GST and the possible uh, the announcement yesterday? Okay, so currently we pay... GST on sanitary items. But before GST was actually bought in, we didn't pay GST on sanitary items. So I assume that bringing it in 20 years ago, there was probably back then, and there was, um, 10 men sitting around the table and they voted on whether we should tax our sanitary items and yes, they got taxed. Which is actually contradictory because tampons fall under the Therapeutic Goods Association Act and are actually deemed medical. Mm. So they're medical, yet they're taxed like a non-medical item. Yeah, and so, that's the which thing. Which is our argument that we've been having. Yeah, I, I was looking into the um, cultural significance of this, and and I feel sanitary items listed as non-essential luxury items rather than essential health products really um, affects our culture to kind of oh, deprioritize women's affairs. Yeah, it's such a luxury to get your period, isn't it? The actual word luxury and periods just should not go in the same sentence. Luxury to me is staying at a five-star resort or Ferrero Shares or Champagne. It's not getting a period of having access to the basic of essentials. Mm. And 
I suppose this is an impossible question, but how do you think we stress that to the, 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 the people who don't have periods or, or, or don't quite grasp the, the gravity of the situation? Because it does affect, you know, a good 50% of Australians. How yeah, does... and, you know, remembering that men are, need to learn to be empathetic because they're probably married to somebody or have daughters or nieces or nephews, you know, nieces or, or cousins. It, it, it's relative to everybody. It's not just a female issue. Mm. And it's certainly certainly not a luxury. And it's everybody who really needs to raise their voice and make sure that the politicians that we pay their wages for hear what we have to say. Nobody wants to talk about periods, right? So mm. I'm sure when it's been brought up every time, we've been hushed. People, women have been hushed. Oh, okay, quickly, let's talk about something new. And that's why it's never been resolved. We just have to keep going on and on and on until they don't want to hear it anymore. Yeah, I was going to say, like, looking into this uh, interview and lo- digging around for information, I found it very hard to find a mention of periods. It's still such this uh, taboo topic, and I would have thought within, you know, our, our age of information, that sort of stuff, that it just had become a more of a common term. Um, what, what do you think we do? To, uh, do we start with education? Is that the way to do it with younger girls, younger boys? Yeah, it is. We just launched a program called Period Talks, and that's where we've got young kids speaking to young kids about periods, so boys and girls, and talking about everything that there is to know about periods. That's where it starts, because Mm. without educating, I know I went through the whole schooling system, and I even went to a private girls' school. I don't even think, I think we might have touched on it for five minutes. Do you know what I mean? I never knew as a girl that I had endometriosis until I was about 25, Mm. when I probably felt brave enough to talk about periods and realised when I was talking with my girlfriend that the pain that I got was very different to the uncomfortableness that they got. And I suppose that is the di- uh, thing, especially with menstruation, is it's not explained the, the wide variety and range and types and, yeah. and and all of that sort of stuff. That's just not brought into it, you know, and the fact that certain women will need certain products or, or sort of yeah. longer products, you know. And could you imagine if we could get women and girls using the menstrual cup? Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like we could literally, I mean, the whole process, the whole reason why Share the Dignity exists is because women in Australia cannot afford the basic of necessities. So they have to use what it up toilet paper or newspaper or socks or you know what, I'm in Darwin today and mm. I'm I'm hearing stories yesterday of women having using ripped up mattresses to deal with their period because they cannot afford the basic of essentials. Yeah, and just just looking into Share the Dignity, um, your organisation, what, what are the type of women that you're, you're working with and how do you work with them to kind of provide this necessary service? Yeah, look, I started Share the Dignity three years ago when I read an article that talked about how many homeless women there were and how they were going without the basic essentials. And what they were doing to deal with their period was so unhygienic and so I couldn't believe that it was happening in Australia. Actually, even today, when I hear stories three years later, I still can't believe that women have to go through that and that Mm. girls are missing school. So we work with around 3,500 charities around Australia that work at the cold front of looking after our women who fled domestic violence, who are experiencing homelessness. Our drought-stricken farming women, you know, they're using and teaching their daughters to cut up towels and deal with their period that way. Not towels mm. you and I would have in our cupboard. I'm talking towels that are spit through that have, they've had for 20 years because they can't afford food on their table, let alone sanitary items. We're trying to ensure that in April and August, people like you and I donate a packet of pads or tampons and we just pass them on 
to all of those women who just don't have access to sanitary items. And I suppose it is this overwhelming economic significance of being under the GST that is just so essential for women or so topical to women. Yeah, you know, I think it's really important to to see that I don't think that the money is actually as important as the fact that it is a sexist tax. Mm, okay. And yeah. it's quite such it really is a contradictory tax. You want to tax them or sorry, you want to treat them like they're under they fall under the Therapeutics Goods Association Act. They're a medical item. So I'll give you an example of that. If you donate to us in April and August and you give me a packet of pads or tampons that are open and you've taken one out, even though they're all individually sealed, we legally are not allowed to pass them on. Wow. So that's contradictory in itself. Um, Rochelle, you're speaking to Dean here. I know the... Um, Hi, Dean. You've been quiet. <laughs> <laughs> I know the uh, Public Health Association of Australia had, had welcomed an announcement into the reproductive health of Australian women. And, you know, obviously the, the focus is this announcement by um, Health Minister Greg Hunt this week saying that the government will invest $18 million into women's health research between 2020 and 2030. Reproductive health obviously is not a, a standard component of, of women's health policy, despite it being so essential to the well-being of Australian women. Can we wait that long? Can we wait till 2020 to take action on something so important? Or even looking at it? Yeah, I, 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 why, why the delay? Mm. I would have to question why the delay. But, I mean, I think Minister Hunt is such a great advocate for Share the Dignity, believes in what we do. We do. When I told him that, that pads and tampons fell under the Therapeutics Goods Association Act, he was also shocked, mm. you know. So at least they have a plan to fix it, do you know what I mean? I, mm. I, you know, I don't know what that means or why there's a delay. I, I, that's a government thing, right? And I guess that's I where Share the Dignity comes it, in yeah. in terms of yeah. making people aware of what is happening out yeah. there, you know, I think you've got yeah. a few campaigns and you mentioned the one that you've just started, but um, the Dignity Drive and it's in the bag yeah. campaigns are quite good. So yeah, talking about your campaign and the recent announcement, uh, just for listeners who aren't sure of the topic, I'll just buzz through it. Um, so October, there was a passing through through the Senate, I believe, um, yeah, of this right. proposal. And then the problem was, though, it wasn't put to a formal vote and it had to pass through the House of Representatives. So just this week, we've heard that the House of Rep- uh, that the coalition will support it. Is that correct? Is that Yeah, it's very exciting, which means that we needed to get every state treasurer on board. So knowing that um, back in... So from our perspective... In January, I went to politics at the pub. Mm-hmm. I met with Malcolm Turnbull. I asked him the question, told him what Share the Dignity did, and asked him the question, did he think that taxing our um, sanitary items was fair? He went straight into a um, sanitary item. The GST on sanitary items is a broad-based tax, blah, 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 blah. I've heard no enthusiasm from any of the states about the removal of this, I said. Mm. Okay. No worries, Malcolm. What we'll do now is we will hit, we'll give you some noise. We'll give you some enthusiasm. So we um, filed a federal petition, which we required 100,000 signatures in 30 days. So there were some sleepless nights in there, but we did end up getting 104,000 um, signatures on that, which is now actually the most signed petition Australia's ever seen. Wow. Um, so we did that. We then posted constantly about people all throughout Australia sending a letter through to their treasurers, through to their ministers, through to their um, to um, to the to every politician who would listen to us. So 
I have met with um, most of the treasurers around the state. Labor then came through and said um, that they also will see the tax removed and they came up with some other solutions to the funds that would happen. That was great. We always had Greens on board. Mm -hmm. um, so Janet Rice and I worked really well together on getting that um, passed through the Senate, which was fabulous, and then um, spoke to Minister Hunt, and then Liberals have come on board and said, well, we also support the abolition of the tax. So all we need now is a sign-off from the Treasurers mm -hmm. in each state to say that they also all approve, which we've already had. It has been sent around a letter from every... Um, signed by every Labor um, treasurer in Australia. So there's five of those, and we have three Liberals. That's so, brilliant. Yeah, so hopefully in September, um, as Liberals have mentioned, that there will be a meeting. I'm just waiting on the date of that mm -hmm. and the where, and um, hopefully we will... <laughs> Yeah. The end no, of so this ridiculous argument that we all need yeah. to be having. <laughs> it's so exciting from the administration adventures right at the start of this protest to now. Thank you so much, well, for the, this campaign. And um, if listeners are interested in following the story further, uh, well, you've got a website. What, what should we be following? Yeah, head to our Facebook page. Probably it has daily comments and stories constantly updated with you know what's hap what's happening. You know, to hear the stories of some of the what's happening in Darwin this week. You know, mm. you'll hear stories constantly of as we, we move around Australia and make a real real difference. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking to us about this. It's such an essential um, topic. So, yeah. My pleasure. Thank, thank you so you much. Thank Yeah. This is Ari Lecker. You're here on 3CR 855 AM Community Radio. Also streaming on 3cr.org.au. Yeah. Free West Papua, Papua Merdeka gets up one talks. The Campaign for International Cooperation and Disarmament presents Dr. Joseph Gerson on Wednesday the 15th of August at 7pm. Dr. Gerson's topic is how nuclear annihilation stands in the way of world peace. August the 15th, 7pm, Melbourne Unitarian Church, 110 Grey Street, East Melbourne. All welcome. Sponsored by IPAN Victoria, Melbourne Unitarian Peace Memorial Church, Quakers, Pax Christi, Spirit of Eureka and the Victorian Council of Churches. The Campaign for International Cooperation and Disarmament is a 3CR supporter. Brainwaves, hear the world differently. Tune in to 3CR Community Radio, Wednesdays at 5pm for Brainwaves, Melbourne's drive time radio show, giving voice to people with a mental illness. One in five have a mental illness, but five in five can enjoy this great program, featuring heartwarming stories, great information and some laughs as well. Find us at 3CR, 855am on your dial. Sponsored by Mental Illness Fellowship Victoria. This is Jazz Party and you're listening to... Mike. Want to support 3CR's diverse and independent voices? Well, it's not too late, and we still need your support. 
Donate now by calling 9419 or donate online at www.3cr.org.au or post as a cheque or money order to Post Office Box 1277, Collingwood 3066. Fight for your mind. The Indigenous Social Justice Association Melbourne is continuing its Stop Failing Our Kids campaign until this year's Victorian state election. We're asking people to sign an online petition and to send postcards to Premier Daniel Andrews, calling for his government to abandon plans to build a $288 million youth prison at Cherry Creek. We want that money directed to culturally appropriate programs to address the underpinning issues rather than incarcerating children. For more information and to sign the petition, visit Istra Melbourne's Facebook page. Postcards are available at 3CR and locations listed at istramelbourne.com. Premier, it's time your government stopped failing the kids. Istra Melbourne is a 3CR supporter. Rumination. 3CR's Rooming House and Homeless Persons Issues Program. Featuring information on health and housing services, as well as live local guests, artists and performers from our unsung community. Join us at 12pm on Thursday on 3CR 855am. Yeah, I spent three and a half years living on the street and I know what it's like to have no hope and not to feel a part of the society and I think that's where a lot of these people are. But I think we need to help people who are traumatised and help people get back on their feet and give them hope and help them um, feel like they're a part of the society again instead of just moving them on like they're an inconvenience. If it were not for ruminations, how would the views of those of us who have been homeless or are homeless, how would these views ever be aired? How would they ever be expressed? Subscribe to the station that gives airtime to people with a lived experience of homelessness. Support 3CR. Hi, this is Hugo the Poet. You're listening to 3CR, and by doing that, you're supporting community radio, an incredibly important institution in our times. Panoply, panorama, panpipe, pansy, aha, pansexual, knowing no boundaries of sex or gender. Sound interesting? Then join Sally on Sundays at noon for Out of the Pan. All those gender questions making you think too hard? Whether it's transgender, bisexual, polyamorous or beyond, we'll throw those questions into the pan and cook up the answers for you. So go on, push that gender envelope only on 3CR 855am digital and 3cr.org.au. Remember, Nanox is a special day for us, fellas. That's a reminder who we are. Every year for NAIDOC Week, 3CR Community Radio gives voice to our Indigenous brothers and sisters through Beyond the Bars. 
Australia's only live prison broadcast. I am a black, black man. NAIDOC means a lot to me. It's about identity and also about past and present. NAIDOC means a lot to me for my family and my people. And the people forgetting about our rights. You can access audio from current and past Beyond the Bars broadcasts via the 3CR website. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars and either listen to or download audio from Australia's only live prison broadcasts. Happy NAIDOC! We know you love our 3CR Radical Radio t-shirts and so do we. They're a bargain at $20 for adults and $15 for kids and come in black, white, grey and a cool light blue. To nab one of these beauties, drop into the station at 21 Smith Street or order by phoning 94198377 or you can visit us online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Come on, you know you want one. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio Wednesday Breakfast. I'm Will, and uh, we're going to be speaking to Kunal, who's a member of Tricone, um, which is a society um, which organises events and uh, sort of cultural things for people of um, South Asian descent living in Australia. And um, we're going to be talking about Section 377. But first of all, um, welcome to 3CR Community Breakfast, Kunal. Thank you, Will. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, thank you for joining us. Um, so the reason why we're speaking today is uh, a couple of things, actually. First of all, today is Indian Independence Day. So first of all, congratulations to anyone from India listening. Um, hope you have a happy Independence Day today. Um, so what? first of all, just for our, our folks listening at home, what is Section 377? What, what does it mean for people living in, in India? Yeah, sure, sure. So um, Section 377 is part of the... Um, uh, Indian Penal Code, and it's actually an antiquated law uh, left behind um, during from the time when the British people had uh, occupied India, back uh, just until the 40s. Um, it essentially is a law that criminalizes homosexuality or any homosexual acts, which means that anyone who uh, is involved in anything that is deemed homosexual would be then uh, could then be um, uh, tried in a criminal court. And if convicted, be, be be considered a criminal. So essentially, it's a crime to be a gay person or a lesbian person in India because of this law. Mm. And um, so this, as I understand, um, this is a law that sort of really impacts the lives of um, India's transgender community. Um, back when, it, um, during the colonial period, um, trans women would have been property owners and they lost those rights as time went on. And they, they continue to be criminalized through this law. Um, can you give us a bit of a history of how the law has been applied? I, I remember hearing back in 2009 that the Delhi High Court um, actually ruled the, the law unconstitutional, but then something changed, didn't it? That's right, yeah. So um, the law's actually uh, been in the conversation uh, in the general zeitgeist for quite a few years now. Mm. So uh, as you mentioned, back in 2009, um, there was a case where it became... Uh, uh, the, the Delhi High Court ruled it unconstitutional, and then after that it went to the Supreme Court the following year, and then the Supreme Court uh, decided not to overturn it completely because it left it to the wisdom of the states. 
um, to, to have it overturned. So since then, it's actually been going back and forth uh, in terms of its legal standing. Um, as of currently, the law is currently being debated by um, various members of the Supreme Court again, and this is currently something that is uh, expected to be resolved by October this year. Uh, Chances are that uh, the Supreme Court is going to overturn the law, which means that it is going to uh, mean a great deal for a whole uh, for millions of LGBT uh, Indians and South Asians in general, not just in India but uh, overseas as well, like in countries like Australia. Mm. So, so, so it's going to be a terrific, terrific outcome if they if they decide to overturn. And so far, it seems like the tide is turning. Yeah, that's fantastic um, news to hear. That we're hearing all sorts of voices actually coming out in um, in India in support of the repeal of Section 377, including religious leaders from um, the um, Association of Christian Churches and even um, the Association of um, Muslim Organisations saying that they won't oppose the repeal. Um, has, this been a, this, has this been a long time coming, or is this a very recent um, change in the, in the zeitgeist in India? I'd say that um, it would have only been uh, within the last at least 10, 15 years that, that it's actually become national conversation. And the issue isn't necessarily that that um, that people are opposed to equality. It's just that um, Indian culture as it is so dominated by religion. Um, sexuality of any kind is often, or up until recently, has often been quite a taboo subject. So people don't discuss sexuality, much less homosexuality. So, so then it becomes a, a hard dinner table conversation to have with your family, with your kids, with your parents. Um, uh, and, and that's mainly because of like the conservative perception that, that, uh, that, that, that religion has spread. Um, so, uh, you know, Hinduism, Islam, which occupies such a big part of the, of the religious fabric of India, um, uh, uh, advocate a, a sense of discretion when it comes to talking about sexuality, which means that, that uh, homosexuality then becomes impacted and, and talk about gay rights also as a result. Mm. Now, um, oh, uh, sorry, just one, one more quick question. Um, so the, back in 2013, um, the Supreme Court overturned, um, um, a, a sort of according to what I've read, um, overturned the decision of the court, so, um, of the Delhi High Court. So Section 377 was brought back into full effect. What, what has been the impact of um, the, the laws um, against homosexuality having full effect in India? Have we... Have we um, seen any impact in terms of activism or in terms of actual arrests being made on the on those charges? Uh, I think uh, the, the law has been used by um, law enforcers and police officers um, uh, to, for harassment for quite a few years now. So um, it's a law. It's a law that, to be honest, is not enforced as much as it is threatened upon. So what happens is that um, when 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 cops see say two guys walking down the street holding hands and they suspect them to to be homosexuals, then often they could be um, extorted for cash uh, by the cops themselves um, in exchange for the cops' silence or, or their discretion, so that they would have to call their families on them. So so it's it's that sort of um, uh, everyday discrimination that makes it hard for people in India uh, to to live as as free LGBT people. But but in the last 10 years since since the law came into the news, I think um, it's been great because we're seeing a lot more depiction of it uh, in social media and in Bollywood as well. Um, so as a result, um, there's a lot more activism. Uh, uh, there's a, quite a few pride parades now uh, across different cities in India. So so that really really brings it into focus. And I guess um, the, the you know every generation gets a, the opportunity to devi- define its own values. 
I think there, there was a time not long ago I read um, when, you know, Brahmins couldn't marry Dal- Dalits and when Hindus couldn't marry Muslims. Um, and, and I guess the definition of, of marriage time and again has changed worldwide and the world necessarily didn't sort of end. Um, are, you, are you finding that the, the people in India are moving forward and sort of thinking, well, we can't go on denying gays, gay people or lesbian people their rights under the guise of old cultural values? Are you, have you, are you seeing that movement? Yeah, yeah, especially among the young people. And that's a global trend as well. I think, I think um, uh, the more the generations shift towards uh, a more egalitarian society, the, the, the less relevant these laws become because... Because I think there's now this uh, sort of live and let live attitude, which 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 helps create that that equal society. But I think it's just as important having representation both in in politics and the media, because um, we won't change the laws that won't affect us, because we are resistant to anything that doesn't personally affect us. So so we've got to have people of, of LGBT origin in those positions of power, so that they could help um, uh, uh, create this change. But they have to then be identifiable with with those certain groups as well, which might still be a, quite a barrier in, in some countries, yes. isn't it? Exactly, yes. The, um, officially, the statistical uh, number of people who identify as gay in in India is 2.5 million. It's got a population of 1 billion people. So, so it's a very small percentage of people who are open about their sexuality, only because um, uh, uh, it is, it is uh, a lot of people still experience homophobia on a daily basis. Uh, now, um, Kunal, a little bit earlier you did mention that there's going to be a decision on um, the repeal of Section 377 in October, and you se- sounded a bit um, optimistic about that. Why, 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 why the optimism? Um, I think because it's come to a stage now where, where the, the opposition to the law or, or the resistance to the law is not, it's not so much a matter of, of, of principle by the lawmakers, but it's now a technicality. So um, earlier this year, uh, the court upheld the right to privacy, um, which is actually something that, that also uh, uh, we had gone through in Australia um, when, when, when we were discussing legal rights for LGBT people as well, is, is, the, is the right to privacy. And, and anything that happens, say, um, uh, you know, behind closed doors in a bedroom between consenting adults actually now falls under that, under that umbrella term. So, so that then becomes uh, one of the one of the factors that would help support. Okay, wonderful. Um, so, just to sort of wrap up this interview, could you give us an idea of um, what Tricone does? Um, we've been talking about three seven seven, and um, speaking to you as a representative of Tricone, and I'd just love to hear a bit about the work that your organisation does and how people can find out more. Yeah, sure, sure. So Tricone's been around for about 10, 12 years now, actually. Uh, it's, an, it's a non-profit social support group. And as you mentioned in the introduction, it's, it's something that, that uh, represents people of LGBT uh, orientations uh, from South Asian origins. So countries like India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, who live here in Australia and might need that um, social support and that network among other like-minded people, only because culturally... Um, uh, there is, uh, there, we've got that commonality coming from that same area of the world where, where religion holds that much power. So, so I think, um, uh, in a nutshell, what we do is we, we, we create events, we, we, uh, uh, help, um, people meet each other and, and we, uh, instill a sense of pride among people, uh, so that they can, they can, they can live to their full potential and, and hopefully come out to the people that they care about most. 
Wonderful. And if people want to find out more, how can they get in contact with you? Yeah, sure, sure. So they could uh, reach us to our website, tricone.org.au. That's T-R-I-K-O-N-E. Um, they could also search for us on Facebook, and we've got events throughout the year. We're planning a queer uh, South Asian film festival later on in the year, so it'll be a great chance to, to catch up on some hard-hitting films on the subject. Um, otherwise, yeah, we've got our annual Bollywood dance party, which is always a massive hit. That sounds like a heap of fun. Um, so uh, you folks are both based um, mainly up in Sydney, so if anyone finds themselves up in up in Sydney around any of the times um, that these events are happening, definitely check out um, Tricone. Um, uh, Kunal is a member of, uh, is a chair member of um, Tricone, has been an organised for, um, a, a, a member of Tricone for the last 10 years and has been speaking to us about Section 377. Um, Kunal, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Will. Thank you, Kunal. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. Uh, and you're listening to 3CR Community Breakfast. So, um, right. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Hello. <laughs> Sorry. I've just, <laughs> I've just been shown something incredibly unhelpful. He's just written, written down the wrong frequency and shown it to me. <laughs> Things is very funny. We have silence, please. This is for radio. Come on. Yeah. Right, here we go. Hi, this is Jay Wilgus Esquire from Public Service Broadcasting, and you are listening to 3CR Community Radio on 855am. On your dial. Please subscribe. Good now. Uh, hi, my name's Sarah. I love coming here because they offer vegan food. Hi, my name's Paul. I've, this is my first time at Friends of the Earth. I think it's really awesome, and the food's great, really healthy, and nutritious. La, la, la. Friends of the Earth Food Co-op, 312 Smith Street, Collingwood. A tuneful experience. A 3CR supporter. Great Voices CDs on 3CR. These CDs are a unique collection. Now you can go to 3cr.org.au and you can order online all the 20 CDs, 15 issues, for $160.00 postage pay or check the individual issues and read each track on it. Every major singer is on there. You'll be excited and entranced. Go to 3cr.org.au now and check out the wonderful Great Voices CDs. You're listening to 3CR. Now, for our next interview, we're going to be talking to Rachel uh, Nollinger from the Melbourne University. However, before we get into this, I thought we'd play a feature song. So this is by uh, Sydney-based band The Preachers, and it's called Yadanada. Now, the song took 15 months because the uh, piece of music actually uses both uh, indigenous language as well as um, English within its song. And the reason it does this is uh, more practical. Yanada wanted to kind of look at the importance of indigenous language and um, spread this message of positive consultation with indigenous community and uh, reconciliation of language within our country and respect for that language. So they spent about 15 months consulting with different um, indigenous groups, but mainly the uh, Durag um, community up in New South Wales, and especially with uh, songwoman uh, Jacinta Tobin, and kind of worked on this song to provide this song. So, uh, yeah, leading into our next... Li- interview all about language and linguistics and indigenous language, uh, here's Yaranada.
using um, traditional Darug language, uh, an Indigenous language from up in New South Wales. And the preachers used uh, spent over 15 months in consultation to make sure that was appropriate, respectful and uh, celebratory to yeah the beautiful language that they were working with. So we're going to continue with our um, conversation of language, uh, talking with an interview with Professor Rachel Nollinger, who is from the School of Language and Linguistics from Melbourne University and the Director of Research um, in the Unit of Indigenous Language. So, good morning, Rachel. Good morning. How are you? Yeah, I'm actually doing pretty well. Um, I was wondering, first off, could you please explain um, your field of study and work? Because it's so expensive. <laughs> yes. Sure. So, um, well, so I'm a, a linguist, and, and linguistics as a field is is the the field that that studies the the science of language, I guess. So, linguists are interested in languages all around the world, and and how they're structured, and and how we can analyze them, and how they're related to each other, and how they change, and how speakers use them in different ways. Um, and my particular uh, research area has always been the Indigenous languages of Australia. So I've spent a number of years working with Indigenous communities around Australia, particularly in my case, communities in the Northern Territory, to record and document and describe the traditional Indigenous languages. And I suppose, uh, what, what made you choose this area of study? Um, well, I was when I was at university doing my undergrad degree, I always loved languages. I loved learning. I, I was doing French and Italian, and I just loved learning languages, and I thought that was cool. I didn't know linguistics existed. And then I took a subject in linguistics just because I saw it in the handbook and thought it looked interesting. And when I took the subject, I realized that actually if you do linguistics, you can learn about all languages in the world, and I was never going to have time to do that if I was just trying to learn individual languages. <laughs> so, um, so I got really interested in linguistics and through that I discovered that there were all these languages in Australia that we didn't know very much about and that were absolutely fascinating from a linguistic perspective. So Indigenous languages are really interesting languages um, and do have a lot of properties and do a lot of things that other languages in the world don't do and so they're really interesting to study as well just from a sort of intellectual perspective as well as all of the fascinating cultural side. Yeah, well, I'll get you to dig into that a little bit further, but I was first wondering if you could kind of contextualise this. Can you expand on why it's so important to protect um, uh, not only uh, languages that we have in Australia but endangered languages and all languages really um, in the terms of cultural significance? Right, yeah. Well, there's, there's probably a number of ways to answer that question. I mean, one... One reason that it's important to protect languages is that communities speak them and they're really important to the communities and they can, it can be quite devastating for communities when there's a, a situation of language loss or um, people are prevented from speaking their own languages and there's quite a lot of studies showing very strong connections between health and well-being and uh, language use for Indigenous communities in Australia and also in other parts of the world. So that's one reason why it's important. But there's also perhaps what you're getting at more is each language... So there's about 7,000 languages around the world and each language is different in really unique ways and the, the each language tells us something about how humans think 
and uh, process the world around them. And and so each language tells us something about what it is to be human. And so in terms of having our understanding of how humans are and how their brains work and how they think, we need to know and discover all that we can about all of the languages around the world. Yeah, and I was reading um, your article, and it, it said, oh, it said that we there's 7,000 languages around the world, and we only have detailed knowledge about 10 to 15 percent of them. Yeah, that's right. That's that, right. Yeah, that just boggles my mind. Um, I know. <laughs> scary, isn't it? Yeah, so, um, the large majority of languages around the world are not written, so it's only it's only a, a small minority of of those 7,000 languages that developed writing systems, and and what that means is. If languages are not written, we don't have any records of them once people stop speaking them. Mm. So that makes them very vulnerable. and Somewhat harder to protect almost. Yeah, and it also means that, you know, it's harder for them to be taught in schools. They're not, they're not being used on the internet or they're not being used in, in um, newspapers and things. So that, you know, in a modern sort of world, they, they, become harder and harder for speakers to use on a daily basis in other sort of contexts like written form. Um, and But there are also all, all of those languages, maybe 90% of the world's languages or 80% of the world's languages are, ta- are spoken by small groups of people. Mm. So often, and that makes them more vulnerable as well. And Rachel, I know um, on uh, the breakfast program here in 2016, there was a, a, an initial thought and an idea that Aboriginal language programs in public schools in New South Wales were going to be, I guess, included. Um, and yeah. you mentioned that, you know, that it's such a, a small population. How is that going along? Are you finding that there's been uptake in, in the Aboriginal language programs being included in schools? And how can it work when it's really not recorded? Right. Well, um, there, so because of the work that linguists and communities have done over the last 50 or 60 years, we do now have... Um, well, so when I say Aboriginal languages are traditionally not written, they are mm. written now because okay. people have worked with linguists or communities have developed writing systems based on the, the English alphabet and so on. So now we have uh, records and resources and things that we can use to teach the languages in in schools. Um, uh, my understanding is that many of these programs are doing well. I mean, they're they're small, they're often local, but uh, so maybe you'll have a language being taught in in one school in in um, Melbourne. Here, Woiwurrung is being taught at Thornbury Primary School, for example. Um, and I think they're I think they're really popular and doing well, but it's very small scale because mm-hmm. it has to be that way it, until we can sort of build up the momentum. But it's also really important that these programs are being led and taught by Indigenous community members. And obviously that then provides a, a limitation. There's only so many people available at any point in time to do it. To do it. But um, I think there, I think there's a, there's an increase a slow increase in awareness around Australia of the need to do to protect and support Indigenous languages. So I think we're slowly making some progress. And this is probably a question without notice. You mentioned your love 
of languages and how you got into it. Yeah. How important would, do you think it would be if the majority of Australians were to mm. learn those languages and keep that history alive? Yeah. Uh, well, I think, I think all Australians should learn way more languages than they do. I mean, I think it's Australia is shockingly monolingual and I mean that's not true of all Australians because we have a lot of Australians who yeah who have other languages in their background but um, if you think of Australia as a sort of the, the sort of culture of Australia language is not really valued at all Australians don't do a lot of language at school it's not compulsory in most schools it's not compulsory past year seven or year eight to do another language People sort of don't think of languages as something important to study. But in fact, um, I mean, it, there's, it, it, that puts Australians in, uh, in a, a real minority around the world. So the large majority of people around the world speak multiple languages. Yeah. And that gives you real access to other cultures, other ways of thinking. You can interact with people it's good for the brain you know well there's so many reasons why language is really important and, and speaking other languages is really beneficial um, and certainly I think for the indigenous languages of Australia it would be wonderful if we had more people uh, sort of engaging with them and learning them and speaking them and appreciating them because they're really they're part of Australia's heritage and they're really fascinating interesting languages and they're just not valued at all by the broader Australian community. Hi Rachel it's Will here can you give us an idea of the kind of things that um, Australians are missing out on and not knowing more about indigenous mm. languages what are some interesting linguistic features or um, um, things that you've learned in in the course of your studies that um, that that people might be interested to hear? Yeah sure um, so I'll try to pick some that are not so you know, detailed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, so one thing that Australian languages are really known for, and this has a sort of interesting connection with cultural perspectives as well, is that they um, often encode kinship relations, so the way in which people are related to each other, in their grammatical structures. So, for example, in... Murimpata, which is one of the languages that I work on, so it's spoken in a community called Waria, southwest of Darwin in the Northern Territory. In Murimpata, every time you talk about a group of people, you have to encode on the verb with sort of grammar. It's part of the grammatical structure of the verb. You have to indicate whether the group of people you're talking about are related as siblings or not siblings. And it's just completely impossible to say any sentence about any group of people without encoding that information. Wow. So what that means is that every time you're speaking Murimpata, you need to be fully aware of the relationships of the people you're talking about. And that is that requires you to think and be aware of things while you're speaking that we don't have to be aware of when we speak English or, mm. or other languages. So, and, and Australian languages do that in different ways, but they, they, um, uh, there's, there's a lot of languages in Australia that in some way or another encode kinship relations in their grammar, and we don't tend to find that 
so much in other languages of the world. So that's one example. Yeah, no, that's fascinating to listen to. Um, now, I was listening to a 2016 project you did in which um, I took around little audio tapes that the university had taken of uh, Indigenous language and gave them back to their communities so they could hear spoken words by their loved ones, I suppose. Um, what yeah. projects are you currently involved in? Um, well, uh, <laughs> a Sorry, number of just different quickly. projects. <laughs> <laughs> that was... So that, that work uh, is still ongoing, the, the process of trying to repatriate. So, th- so that, that project you're talking about was where we took recordings that were made in the 80s and 90s and um, took them back, so repatriated them back to communities. And we're still doing a lot of that in various places as, as we can because we've now got, we're now able to easily digitise and um, make what recordings more accessible because obviously 20, 30 years ago it was all done on cassette tape mm. and then it's harder to distribute that around to people. So that's one project, but um, I'm doing a lot of work in Wadiya at the moment on a language called Murimpata and uh, one of the projects we have running up there is actually looking at how children learn Murimpata. So Murimpata is a language that's still used by the whole community. Children up there still learn it as their first language. Um, they don't really learn much English until they get to school. And Murimpapta is a really different language from English and, and other more well-described languages in terms of its, the way it's structured. And so then it's an interesting question to see whether kids learn a language like Murimpapta in the same way that kids learn English. So when we go, we, we have a lot of understanding of how children, the, the sort of stages children go through when they mm. learn a language. But all of our understanding is based on learning English or French or other um, European languages. And we don't really know anything about how you learn a language that's structured so differently. So that's one project we're working on at the moment that's hopefully going to be interesting. Yeah, that sounds absolutely fascinating. Well, we'll have to check in on you and see how those projects are going because it's an ongoing issue within Australia and really great one to tap into. Thank you yeah. so much for joining us this morning. No worries. Thank um, you for your interest. It was great talking to you. Great. Thank you. And you are listening to 3CR Community Radio. We've had a great show today, lots of things to talk about. We've just mm. been speaking about um, indigenous, indigenous language learning and... Um, learning about how kinship is coded into grammatical structures, which is fascinating. Language never, and linguistics, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, earlier in the show, we spoke to Kunal, a um, member of Tricone, which is an association, um, uh, social support so- association for LGBT people of South Asian descent and yeah. origin. And um, so um, talking about the the possible repeal of, repeal of Section 377 criminalising homosexuality um, later this year. So and It sounded really positive too. It sounded mm, like it was mm. an archaic law that was just a technicality, I think he said at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then earlier in the show we spoke to... We spoke to Rachel Courtney from uh, Share the Dignity uh, organisation mm. uh, about the uh, also 
coming up possible repeal of um, sanitary items under the GST. So it's yeah. actually been some really positive news this morning, apart from, um, as Leila said, her little black rain cloud this morning with the Espionage Act, which was a bit more serious and gravelly in tones. Yes, and we'll definitely be doing more, co- uh, more coverage on that in the future. Um, and then um, at the top of the show, we had Songs of Satire as well. Mm, yes, with our fantastic Janelle Monet exploring uh, the female body and the female experience and just yeah, everything mm-hmm. beautiful. Mm. Um, you've been listening to 3CR Community Breakfast. I'm Will. I'm Edwin. Dean. Layla. And we've been having a lot of fun today in the studio. Um, hope you tune in next week for uh, another show, but also you can tune in tomorrow for Thursday breakfast. breakfast. Um, or and find us at our website. That's right, at 3cr.org.au slash Wednesday uh, dash breakfast. That's right. And um, next up is Stick Together. Have a great day, folks. Stick Together. Enjoy. <laughs> I think 3CR is the voice of the people speaking back to the establishment and telling them what they think, and sometimes it's something they don't want to hear. 3CR are selling kefir Palestinian scarves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. All profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. These are traditional scarves available in red and black, or you can choose from a modern design. Go to 3cr.org.au slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours. 3CR relies on the support of ethical organisations to keep our vital community of voices on air. And we'd like to thank our breakfast supporters, the new international bookshop, Nibs, at Trades Hall, and eco-friendly paper and printing outfit, Earth Greetings. You can check them out at nibs.org.au and earthgreetings.com.au. And if you'd like more information on how your organisation can become a 3CR supporter, contact the station on 03 9419 8377. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.